Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. To uh, week two of the story, and uh, I don't know that last song for me, uh, just as I am, uh, is a song that really sums up what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. That God meets us where we are, not where we wish to be, or not when we finally get things together enough that things are perfected. God meets us where we are in all of our lives. That's what we've needed, isn't it? Is the people who will not wait until we get perfected to finally come along and get us, but but to find us where we're at and to encourage us on. That's what God wants to do this morning. And this morning we're going to talk about the faith of one of those heroes of the faith, Abraham, that he didn't display at every moment. But there was this sense of faith in Abraham uh, that is important for us to get this morning in the midst of these times. How do we maintain faith in the midst of challenging times? Last week in chapter 1, We discovered that God has a big plan, a desire, a vision for his creation. And the point of the story that we're going to hear again and again in the coming weeks is that God wants to be with us. God walks in the cool of the garden with Adam and Eve. It's normal back then. And there's been some distance that's been created through the mistakes of human beings in our own lives. There's been those mistakes as well. But God desires to be with each and every one of us. I want us to get that as clearly as we can. Unfortunately, we saw last week that Adam and Eve didn't exactly share that vision with God. They, they had a distance that separated them because of sin that had entered into their lives. They put their hope and trust in created things rather than in the Creator. That's what we refer to uh, as sin. Sin are those things that separate us from God. It's when we put things in front of God. It's when we, we, we worship things that are not God Himself. When we fall short of the glory of God, which all of us could raise our hands and say we've done that. We've fallen short of God's glory. Sin has consequences. And in chapter 1, we saw those consequences because the Garden of Eden was no longer available to them. The tree of life was closed off. So God decides to start over a little bit later in chapter 1. He starts over by trying to uh, clear the earth and really destroys the earth with a flood. But there's this righteous man named Noah that he's trying to start over with that he hopes maybe Noah and his family can repopulate things and, and we can get back to the way God intended the world to be. But that doesn't work either. Even righteous Noah and his descendants make mistakes and sin stays in the world and it continues to wreak havoc in our lives in our own day. 
So the flood is creation 2.0, but God realizes even that's not going to work. And so God has to work toward another plan, plan B in this pursuit of getting us back. Because all God ever wanted was to live with the people he created. He wanted to live in perfect fellowship with us. Now put yourself in God's shoes for a moment, which I know are some big shoes to fill. But just imagine for a moment that that's your desire. As you've created these humans, your desire is to be in relationship with those humans. But at every stop, they keep turning away toward other things. Well, what would you do next after the failure of the flood and that whole story? Well, if it were me, I think I'd stop depending on these humans to get this accomplished. I'll just pick it up. I'll do it on my own. I'll do all that's needed and necessary. But in chapter 2 of the story, God chooses to get us back through another plan that includes us. He decides he's going to pick a family that is going to be this contrast community, this community that displays the love and the grace and the joy of what it means to be God's followers and God's people. He, He wants to create a whole new nation who will live as this contrast community to put on display to the world God's qualities. He wants a group of people to show the rest of humanity what it looks like to follow this wonderful God. And we're going to read the beginnings of that today, but what we do as the church is exactly that same purpose. God is calling us to live as a different kind of people, a new kind of nation, empowered by the Holy Spirit to put on display to this, the world the virtues of this wonderful God who has forgiven us. Let's pray, though, as we open uh, our time in the story this morning. Our God, our Father, we thank you that you meet us right where we are. Not where we hope to be, not when we get things perfected, but you meet us right in this place. And God, we want to start from a place of just gratitude this morning. We are so grateful for who you are, for your consistency in our lives. There's never been a day that we have been alone, even in the moments we felt most alone, because you have been present in our lives when even no one else has been. And God, we make mistakes, and that causes a lot of tension in our lives. It causes problems in our relationships. It it really keeps us from who you want us to be. And so, God, we want to repent of those things that we do wrong, of our wrong heart attitudes, of the ways that impacts the ones we love most. And God, we want you to give us an opportunity again, a, a fresh start. And, and your word says that our, your mercies are new every morning. And so this morning we start from that place saying thank you. But God, we want to be faithful in response to your grace and your mercy. We want to be this contrast community you've called us as the church to be. So God, I pray you would inspire us this morning with these words. That your Holy Spirit would inspire these words of Scripture in our own hearts so that we might put into practice the things that we learn. And I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been trying to imagine the conversation that must have gone on in heaven as God decides who it is that he's going to choose for this plan B. Who he's going to choose to be the faithful follower in these days ahead. God, I imagine, saying to the angels up in heaven, so I've got this idea. I want to pick a couple To start a nation in whom I will show my love and my peace and my joy to the world. Who would you choose? And I imagine there's an angel there that's the first to speak up. Kind of the Peter of the angels, right? He speaks up and says, we've got just the couple, God. It's Sean and Jennifer. We think they'd be tremendous. They they work out. (laughs) They've already got four kids. They've already started a nation of their own. Let's choose them. That'd be a great idea, God. God says, no, I... I'm actually thinking about someone else. I'm thinking about Abram and Sarai. 
And the angel says, you've got to be kidding me. Of whole people you could choose, Abram and Sarai, they've already got their AARP cards. How are you going to start a nation with them? They just went and bought walkers the other day. Abram and Sarai, why them? Sarai's barren? How are you going to populate a nation with an infertile couple who are past the point of having their own children? And God says, I want you to trust me on this one. Maybe it didn't go exactly like that. But it's a little confusing when you see the choice God makes in this story. Abram and Sarai are not the couple you would have chosen. They're old. They can't have kids. But more importantly, Abram doesn't exactly come from a God-honoring family. In in Joshua 24, later on in Scripture, it's reflecting back on who this uh, Abraham character is. And Abraham's dad is a man named Terah. And you know what he did for a living? He worshipped other gods. He was an idol maker is what the tradition tells us. But one thing you're going to notice throughout the story is no part of your family's history or your own history can discount you from being used by this God. Abraham is old. Isaac is insecure. Leah is, well, she has weak eyes. We don't know what that means exactly. Moses stuttered. Gideon is fearful and doesn't think much of himself. Samson, well, he's proud and thinks a lot of himself. Rahab's a prostitute. David's had an affair. Elijah is suicidal. Jeremiah is depressed. Jonah is disobedient. Naomi's a widow. Mary's a teenager. John the Baptist, well, he's just plain weird, right? Peter's impulsive. Martha is obsessive. And then you've got that woman that Jesus meets, the Samaritan woman who has five failed marriages. But none of those things discount them from being the very people that God chooses in their day and in their time to be used by God. Thank God that's the case, right? Why would God choose, though, in this story, an elderly and fertile couple that comes from a family of idol worshipers? I think it's because God wants to demonstrate to all of us that we can be used by God. And when imperfect people get chosen, people that seem impossible at the time, God actually gets all the glory in those situations, doesn't he? Because no one's looking at the person thinking, wow, it must have been because of them that this happened. No, they're going to have a child. It's going to be because of the miraculous work of God. But there's another reason he chooses them, and that is because what other choice does he have? There's not going to be the perfect family or couple that goes along. In fact, Noah was the righteous man who was supposed to get it done, but even Noah wasn't good enough. See, love needs a body. When God shows up, it's never abstract. It's never intellectual. It's never just an idea. When God shows up, he shows up in the flesh. He shows up in creation. And God continues to make this huge risk with humans by using Abram and Sarai. It probably wasn't his best strategy. He could have done it on his own. And he could have done it better. But he chooses to use this barren couple who have lost hope in the ability that they'll ever have children of their own. Yet while Abram is not anything special on the one hand, he does have something extraordinary about him that God can use. And I think no matter what our gift set is and our abilities, if we have this uh, virtue that Abraham puts on display, then God can use us in remarkable ways as well. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, or if you have your copy of the story, it's on uh, page, let's see, page 13 where we read this. So this is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, five different times in these three verses, you hear this phrase, I will. And I love this. This is who God is. I will. This is not a God who's focused on past mistakes. This is a God who's focused on what he's about to do in this day and in the days to come. And that's still true today. Not just a God who can tell stories from the Bible about all the great things that have happened. Some of us get to that place where it seems like all of our good stories are, uh, I was or I did. But this is a God who continues to work and says, I will. I will. I will, God says. Five different times. Now, why? I think it's because God has to pull this off because Abram and Sarai can't do it on his own. In other words, I will. It's not going to be you doing these things. I will do these things. So God promises to bless Abram. But notice why he blesses Abram. He says, I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing to all peoples on earth. God blesses Abram, not so that Abram can accumulate that blessing and store it up. He blesses Abram so that he can bless all peoples on earth. And this is how it always happens with God. We are not blessing retention ponds. Retention ponds stink, right? They just kind of accumulate things. They stay right there. That's where the mosquitoes come and, and they, they're parasites that come off of that. They're stagnant. No, God's will is for us to be a river. A river that takes the blessing of God and passes it on to others along the way. And, and what, does, what does Abram say to God's call for him to leave his family and his household in this story? Well, verse 4. So Abram went. So Abram went. This is what sets Abram apart from others around him at that time. Others that God try, might try to use. God tells Abram to do something and Abram does it. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't question God's wisdom. He doesn't ask where the destination is. He has the faith to follow God. You see, faith is following what God has said despite all the questions he hasn't answered. Well, let me let that sink in just a little bit. Look at that phrase. God is following, or faith is following what God has said despite all the questions he hasn't answered. Now, in the New Testament, you're going to find with Abram, Abraham, he's, he's passed at that point. But in the New Testament, it's going to reference Abraham almost more than any other character in the Old Testament. Seventy-five times the New Testament brings up the story of Abraham. In fact, let's look at a few of those passages. The story actually shares a few of these in the pages. This is on page 14 of the story, but it's actually Hebrews chapter 11 in our Bibles, which is the story about all these faithful people from the Old Testament. God's faithfulness to the ages. Listen to this about Abraham. This is Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham had faith in God when he told him to leave everything, and he trusted him when God told him he would have a son that would eventually become a people as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Even before he has children, God says, this is going to be your destiny. This is going to be your future. And Abraham has faith that that's possible. Paul talks about Abram's faith uh, in a different part of the New Testament. This is in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to how Paul, the apostle, talks about this great person of faith. Against all hope, Abraham in hope. I like that. 
Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. You see, Abraham trusted God. He followed God despite all the questions he didn't have answered. What made Abraham stand out was not his background. It was his faith. And I have to confess, I have a desire to have that kind of faith in my life. And I falter and I stumble and I struggle at that. There are days where I'm faithful, where I have great hope about what God's going to do. And there are days all that hope seems to have dried up. But I'm inspired by this example of Abraham. And I'll tell you, we're going to talk in a moment about how he wasn't perfect with his faith. It, It didn't happen every day of his life, but there was still this consistency to the faith that he had that he came back to. Because for me, I like trying to figure God out. I like trying to study even Scripture itself to put God in my own box and understand this is, this is who God is. And God doesn't play well in the boxes we create for Him. God's so much larger than the words and the images we have for Him. I want God to make sense. But faith comes down to this question. Do you believe God or not? Do you believe the Word of God that's been passed on to you, the truth and the the Word that's there or not? Generosity is a test of that question, isn't it? Do you trust God as the provider who has the cattle on a thousand hills, right? He's going to provide everything you need or not. When worry and fear takes over our lives, that's another one of those questions, right? Do we have faith that God sees us and will take care of us and provide all that we need in the midst of those seasons of worry and anxiety. What about with your children, your grandchildren? Faith is trusting that God has a plan even in the midst of those chapters or challenges that are difficult. The God of the universe loves you. Do you believe that this morning? The God of the universe loves you. He created you and He loves you. And and we'll find out in a few weeks when we talk about the Ten Commandments that God sets out commands for us to follow, not so that we can have our pleasure taken away from us or that life can be worse than what it would be. These commands are for our good, just as any good parent provides uh, rules and understanding and trying to help their children find their way in the world. God is the same way with us. So do you trust God? Do you believe God or not? Now, as I said, there, there are times where Abraham struggles to trust God, where his faith falters. In fact, he and Sarah uh, know that they're going to be having a child, right? They're going to be populating the earth, and they actually take things into their own hands at one point. Abraham has a child through his maidservant, Hagar. They try to rush God's plan, and it didn't turn out well. In fact, the consequences of that decision are still felt in our world today because today uh, Arabs actually trace their history back to Ishmael, who's the other child, not the child of promise, but the first child that was the faithless act of Abraham. And then the Jewish people trace their line through Isaac, the other son. So all that problem that's going on in our world between in the Middle East, right? You can track it back to a faithless decision of Abraham. I'm glad my story doesn't get told to the rest of the world in that way. So don't look at Abraham as if he's a perfect man. He's certainly not. But he does come back to faith in the midst of impossible situations. And when it came to the ultimate test, he did show himself and prove himself to be faithful. Do you remember that story about going up on Mount Moriah that you read about this week. God had finally given Abraham the child of promise named Isaac. He had created a miracle from an old barren couple. And here's this child of promise. God asks Abraham to give up that gift. He asked him to sacrifice his only son. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. 
This is the story there about Mount Moriah. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now, the Scriptures say it's a test there. Abraham doesn't know that. And so in our own stories, there are times that God's up to more than sometimes we're aware of. This is a test Abraham's getting. Number two, verse two. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And in usual Abrahamic fashion, watch what he does in verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Just like in chapter 12 where it says, so Abram went. The same thing in this story. So Abram did exactly what God wanted him to do. He goes. Now, I couldn't do it. I cannot imagine being asked to sacrifice my son. But watch what Abram says to his servants. I think it's instructive about the faith that Abraham has in this story in verse 5. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham trusts that this is not going to be the end of the story for Isaac. That he's going up on the mountain, but he's going to return with his son as well. Now, I know this is a difficult story to understand. This is one of those stories that I struggle with about why would a God ask for a man to give up his son, to sacrifice his son, to ask that son to carry the wood up the mountain. It's a common practice in those days, though. It would have been normal for the gods to demand child sacrifice. So the odd part in this story is not that the gods would demand this of a man like Abraham. The odd part of this story is that this God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, doesn't demand child sacrifice. In fact, in the end, provides another way than the sacrifice of a child. But here's the incredible part of this story. If you've read ahead in the story, you know that the place, the geography of where Abraham and Isaac are in the region of Moriah is a significant place because centuries after this story, Mount Moriah winds up being the region where Jerusalem is established. And on that mountain is the place where another father will give up another son, God and his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for all of us. And so while God provides a, a, a substitute for Isaac, where Isaac doesn't have to pass away. The same is true in the same place centuries later as we're provided a sacrifice in Jesus on our behalf. See, God is going to find a way to be with us. That is God's great desire. So why does God choose Abraham in this story? Again, he doesn't have many options because all of us are flawed. Part of it is Abraham is not somebody that someone's going to look at and say, wow, look how remarkable Abraham is. No, the only possible response to a story like this is look how amazing Abraham's God is. You know, God has a habit of using uh, some strange people with some strange backgrounds to accomplish his purposes. When God wants to start the most important or uh, prison ministry in the last 200 years, you remember who he uses? He uses an ex-con named Charles Colson, who was part of the Nixon administration during the Watergate scandal. When God wants to teach us about joy, he uses a quadriplegic named Joni Erickson Tata to teach us what it means to have joy in impossible circumstances. 
When God wants to alter our consciousness about the capacity of people with special needs, He uses a blind, deaf, and mute woman named Helen Keller to remind us of what's possible. This is God's specialty. And I want you to hear this as we close this morning. Because some of you may be wondering, how are you to be used in the midst of this time? Does God see you? Does God want to somehow use you in some particular way? And this story reminds us that if God can use imperfect people in dysfunctional families and impossible circumstances, then what might God be wanting to do through each one of us? There's nothing about your family background. There's nothing about your past and your sins that disqualifies you from being used by God in this generation in remarkable ways. God wants to use you, and if you're more messed up, He gets more of the glory, right? And it's through the story of the testimony of how God has come and worked in your life in your particular ways that God can use you to impact generations, perhaps as much as the stars in the sky or the sand in the seashore. Let's close with prayer this morning. Father, I I thank You for this... uh, group of Christ followers who are here this morning, and those who maybe haven't made decisions to follow Jesus either, who are joining us online or here in the room. God, it's stories like this in Genesis 22 that cause me struggle and and cause me to wonder about, are you really good? But it's a reminder, God, that on this same mountain, we're foreshadowing a story that has changed all of our lives because when it came to your own son, you were willing to sacrifice him so that we might have a chance of reconciliation and forgiveness. So we might be used by your Spirit to do remarkable things. God, we want to be used not to be known uh, for what we did, but we want to give you the glory, God, in our lives for what you have forgiven us for and how you choose to impact the world through us. And I, I pray for each one in this room this morning, each one that are watching online, that are worshiping with us, and I pray that in whatever ways that you want to use us through the sins of our lives, through the background that may not be what we wished it would be, through whatever it is we come to the room and this morning with, God. I pray that you would remind us that you are faithful and that you use us to do remarkable things, even in this day in 2020. I pray this morning you would uh, work in all of us for the sake of your glory. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.